You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Episode 10 of Not Another Leafs Podcast on the Hockey Podcast Network. Ken Stapon joined by Brendan McCarthy, BMAC. What's up, guy? Good, man. Getting revved for the French Open. French Open tennis beginning tomorrow. We're recording this. Guy. Huge tennis guy, man. I know I, I knew. I know you're a big sports guy. I've been like, I'll watch the big matches in tennis and stuff like that. But you, you're following it pretty closely here. Well, we're recording this Saturday, the 26th, so it starts on the 27th. This is going to be dropped Monday, so we'll be we'll be into the tournament. But, you know, lots of Canadian content, Kenny. We got Jeannie Bouchard, no Bianca, Milos withdrew. But, you know, huge, huge uh, tennis guy. I, it's actually on the bucket list of mine to go see a slam. I think that'd be fantastic. You can come with me if you want. I'd be down and, for a little yeah. trip to New York once uh, once things clear up. Yeah. Now- not not the best time to go down there at the moment. And big week for Chapo as uh, he cracks the top 10 in rankings in the world. Huge. He's a wolf, man. I love watching that kid play. Like the the, the one-handed backhand that's patented Chapo, man. He's, he's such a thrill. Such yeah. a thrill. I believe he's ranked number nine in the world now. So very impressive. And congratulations to him. Really is. We were talking about this on one of the other podcasts before this. That really is the golden age for Canadian tennis with so many great players in the mix uh so we're gonna be a little bit behind on this one but the the tampa bay lightning defeating the dallas stars last night triple overtime shattenkirk gets the game winner to push tampa bay to a three to one lead game what is it game five then mental math here was three game five tight turnaround yeah game five to we'll go into that goes this evening with tampa bay able to hoist the cup if they take out dallas what do you make of uh Tampa Bay's chances this evening. I mean, what a deflating, deflating loss for Dallas yeah, in, in game trouble. four because they played so well. I think that was probably one of their best games of the, of the Stanley Cup final. It was a seesaw battle. They were up two zip. And to lose in overtime like that, a comfortable lead now in the series for Tampa, I, you got to think they put it away tonight. It's not looking good. And I think for Tampa Bay, like they've been on the cusp for so long and gone through so much as a group. Uh, I mean, how many of these players were on the team? What was it, in 2015 where they lost in the cup final? So they've been right on the cusp there for the last several years, especially last year. You know, they were the unanimous pick before they got swept by Columbus. So you really feel that this is the year that they're going to push past it and hoist that cup later this evening. I would not be surprised to see that at all. You know, it'd be really cool, Ken, if they win 
in the next, either tonight or in the next few days, and they get the the players like Vinny LeCavalier, Martin St. Louis, and Dave Anderchuk on like a Zoom call to like congratulate them. Like we've seen Gretzky do that in certain instances. Like I think that'd be really, really cool because yeah. they haven't won the cup in 16 years since 04 when they defeated Calgary. Yeah. So that'd cool. be kind of cool to have uh, the alumni in there. Yeah, maybe even bring in Stevie Y as the GM who assembled this team. Oh, yes. Yeah, no offense to Julian Breesbaugh. He made some moves and definitely put his stamp on it this year as well, making those acquisitions at the deadline. Uh, pretty exciting show for us today, BMAC. We're bringing on our first guest to the Not Another Leafs podcast, episode 10. Feel, felt like a right time to do it. Ian Tullock of The Athletic is going to join us and excited to have Ian join the pod here. All right, our next guest on Not Another Leafs podcast, Ian Tullock of The Athletic, friend of Maple Leafs game night on TSN 1050 and host of the Leafs Geeks podcast, joins the show. Ian, thanks for taking the time today. Hey, anytime. Thanks for having me on, Ken. Really appreciate it. Yeah, we were just uh, discussing off air. Uh, I'm actually recording this from the TSN 1050 studio in the back, so no camera on my computer, but I do have my display picture, the O-Dog and his reaction on the Frederick Anderson save on that faithful night, I believe is in February. What a hilarious moments that just uh, showcase the O-Dog surprise at Anderson's athletic ability. It was awesome. Me and O-Dog have history. He called me Ian Graff one day on overdrive. And then it's, it's been my Twitter handle ever since. So uh, I owe him uh, my fame on Twitter for whatever that's worth. He's you know, coining names for everybody. Like he's got Kenny Rogers for Kenny. I don't. I haven't met O Dog. I've passed by him before, but he seems to have a nickname for everybody he crosses. You know, he's got me dialed up Ian now as Kenny Rogers, and he keeps calling me the Gambler on air. So that uh, that's been my most recent change, or I guess like little claim to fame here, brought by the O Dog. He's a funny guy. He has really. Uh, I, I always like listening to him on Overdrive. You know, he's got some fun hockey opinions. He likes bringing out some jokes on air, but. I think sometimes people give him a hard time for, you know, being the classic kind of old school hockey take guy, but you see him break down film. And I think when you look at guys like him or Brian Burke, when you see them actually break down some hockey, I think you start to realize that we're all trying to arrive at the same conclusions. Just sometimes nerds like me have certain ways of going about it. And sometimes when you're playing hockey ever since you're, you're a kid and you grow up in it, AAA coaching management. I think that's a different way of looking at things. And personally, I've never minded it. It's why I like doing my podcast and I'm going to be starting to back up here. We like getting in discussions about this kind of stuff. So I'm curious what you got for me here today, because I'm really happy to talk about some Leafs. Yeah, man. It's a classic debate of the eye test versus the analytics test. I know that you're a super analytics driven guy. Uh, before we get into the Leafs, I just want to touch briefly on the Stanley cup final matchup that's going on right now. Tampa Bay up three, one, on Dallas, I mean, a lot of controversy at the end of the game yesterday evening with Shattenkirk getting the game winner and triple overtime. What are your thoughts on what you've seen so far in the series? Because by my estimation, Dallas was the best team in two periods, periods one and two of the series. And then since that third period in game one, that Dallas ended up getting the win and Tampa Bay outshot them. I think it was 22 to two in the third. By my estimation, Tampa Bay has been substantially the better team in this series so far. 
Yeah, and I think with Tampa Bay, it's funny. If we ask ourselves, how many Stanley Cups do we think they would have won over the last 10 years? You'd imagine they'd get one Stanley Cup just based on how much talent that they had on their roster over the last decade. But it never happened. And I think this year, hopefully, we'll see if they can hold on and do it. But I think this might be the year the most talented team in the league actually wins the cup. I know it doesn't happen every year. I know hockey's a weird sport. There's crazy bounces. Goaltenders can go on heaters. But with Tampa Bay, one thing I really like about their team when we're talking about the way they were constructed, they got swept by Columbus last year, who was the stronger, more physically dominant team. And the easy thing to do for Tampa Bay would have been, oh, okay, let's just add size, let's add toughness, let's add grit. Let's maybe trade one of our, you know, star, you know, winger kind of players who isn't back-checking hard enough. That's not what they did. They went out and acquired Kevin Shattenkirk on a, on a discount. They went and acquired Patrick Maroon. They tried to acquire as much talent as humanly possible. And because of it, they have a very good chance of winning the Stanley Cup right now. That's not to say defensive hockey doesn't work. Just ask the Dallas Stars who rode it all the way to this Cup final. The New York Islanders almost made it to the Cup final on a solely defensive game plan. So there's more than one way to win in this sport, obviously. But I think Tampa Bay is a perfect example of, hey, when things go really wrong and, you know, things couldn't have gone worse last year when they got swept by Columbus. They stuck to their process. They stuck to their game plan. Let's keep acquiring talent. Let's keep acquiring skill. Let's stick to our game plan. And it appears to be working for them. Ian, what do you think of the, the tight turnaround? I mean, I was kind of shocked to see that they're getting right back at it tonight for game five. And obviously, Joe Pavelski didn't mince words last night after that Ben penalty, which he clearly ragged all Tyler Johnson. But, you know, are you, are you surprised? Or could you have seen maybe like a Sunday start for game five? And how is this going to affect Dallas? So I don't work for the NHL, obviously, but I'm thinking if I do and I want to maximize ratings, I'm terrified of Sundays because week one, the NFL, uh, the the numbers were through the roof. Week two looked pretty good. You got to think if you're the NHL and you're trying to draw in the average U.S. viewer going up on Sundays, you're just probably not going to get many viewers. So realistically, I understand it from their perspective, but if anything, I would have liked to see them take an extra day off and maybe go instead of Friday to Saturday day, go Friday to Monday, but it's happening. They're going to play tonight back to back in a Stanley cup final, not ideal, but at the same time, it's not like there's travel. It's not like they have to go far from the rink to their hotel rooms. It's very unusual circumstances, obviously, but I think if it's going to be a much more energetic back-to-back than we usually see, I know the numbers show that on the second half of back-to-backs, teams don't generate as many shots, scoring chances. I think there's going to be a bit more energy in this type of game, a Stanley Cup final second half of back-to-back than what we're used to seeing in the regular season. And for sure, you'd expect some pushback out of Dallas. Obviously, their backs are up against the wall. Love that cliche. Down 3-1 to now in the series. Let's switch to Toronto, though. The Maple Leafs making some news this week, hiring Paul McLean as an assistant. McLean has been most notably, or the most notable year in his career, rather, was in 2013, where he won the Jack Adams over in Montreal, or Ottawa, rather. And then he was also a cup winner in 2008 as as an assistant with Detroit. Behind your boy, Brendan, Bike Mabcock. What do you make of uh, the signing from the Toronto Maple Leafs? So uh, for Leafs fans, the, uh, the Bruce Boudreau dream is officially dead. Uh, I know that a lot of people on Twitter have been joking for a while that all they want is for Bruce Boudreau to finally work for the Leafs. You know, you see his record, every team he goes to, they instantly improve. They instantly get better defensively and they generate lots of shots, lots of scoring chances. Don't give up many. I can understand why a lot of Leafs fans really wanted Bruce Boudreau to come in 
and be an assistant coach and work with this team. My assumption from the outside looking in is that Boudreaux really wants to be a head coach and maybe Sheldon Keefe and Dubas feel a bit threatened if he comes in as an assistant coach. I'm not quite sure how to explain it personally, but I do know that I really liked uh, what Paul McLean did back in Ottawa. I remember when uh, there was a fan right behind him along the glass. That's all I can think of when I see his face, when I see the mustache and the glasses. I just see the fan beside behind him in the behind the coach's bench. I just can't unsee it. But he did a really good job in Ottawa. I think it's going to be a decent fit. We'll see how things go. I know last year when they, uh, they, they did the assistant coach overhaul, they brought in someone to fix power play, someone to fix penalty kill. Let's see if it works. So is the goal to improve the power play? Is he going to be doing more work with the forwards or defense? I'm not quite sure what the official role is just yet. So after I see that, maybe I'll have a better assessment. But I'm curious to see how it goes. Do you remember in 2013 after that Eric Griba hit on, I believe it was Lars Eller, and then Brandon Prust and McLean were going at it. I think he called him like a bug-eyed bat walrus. But oh his resp- God, that was good stuff. <laughs> Paul McLean, his response was the best. He's like, okay, I haven't heard bug-eyed before. That's great. And I'll tell you one thing. I'm not fat. I'm husky, but I'm not fat. <laughs> yeah, it was a great, fit in it was a great interaction Toronto between media market. I got, I got to think there are going to be some good exchanges throughout the year. Oh, yeah. I'm with you on that one, Ian, that – the Bruce Boudreau dream is probably over now at this point. And I don't think that the organization really wants to bring in a coach of his caliber right behind Sheldon Keefe, who they just newly appointed and is supposed to be sort of the savior of the franchise. Dubas's guy is going to play that analytic style, the style that Kyle Dubas has built this team to play. If you bring in a coach of Boudreaux's caliber and he's sitting on the bench right behind this guy, the second that this team goes on a skid and loses, you know, seven of 10, People are going to be marching down Bay Street with their pitchforks and their torches calling for Sheldon Keefe's head. And the replacement who they're going to want is going to be sitting right behind him. I mean, they'll be doing that regardless of who the assistant coach is, we're being honest. You know, <laughs> yeah, <that's true. laughs> in this market, you go on a two or three game losing streak, you know, everyone needs to be traded. But uh, I, I definitely understand why if you have a head coach and you want to set, you know, a hierarchy of who's in charge and then who's next in line. If you bring in someone, like you said, of, of Bruce Boudreaux's caliber, there will be an understanding that if things don't go as well as you expect with Sheldon Keefe, that Boudreaux would be the next logical hire. So maybe you don't want to set that example. Maybe you really want to show Keefe that he is your guy. You're going to bring in some assistance that you can trust, but not someone that you plan on, fi- on replacing him with. It's always an awkward working relationship when you know the guy working below you is planning to replace you. I, I know I've been watching The Last Dance on Netflix uh, far too many times throughout quarantine. It's one of the few sports things that I've been enjoying. And uh, when you hear about Phil Jackson, uh, the Red Auerbach or whoever the coach was at the time, um, he, he's like, yeah, I, I, can, I can sense that, that Phil uh, wants this job. And I'm not sure how that working relationship is. I don't know if that's productive or not. So maybe that's what the Leafs were trying to avoid in that sense. Yeah. Well, speaking of big names that the organization's trying to pursue at the moment, the biggest is probably the free agents, the captain of the St. Louis Blues, Alex Petrangelo. No doubt this guy would fill the biggest need that this team has had over, I can't even remember how many years, that they've been pursuing the big right-shot defenseman, the bona fide number one pairing guy. The real issue becomes, how do you squeeze this guy in on the cap, and can your team be successful if you're tying up that percentage of the money among five or six players. What do you think that Toronto should do in this situation? Should they try to sign Petro and then have a patchwork sort of bottom six and 
maybe the bottom half of their decor, or should they just try to build and get some more depth on those bottom lines and sign other free agents that are going to be a little bit more cost-effective? I think history has taught us in most sports that elite talent at the end of the day is what most consistently wins championships. So the, the more elite talent you can acquire, for example, John Tavares becomes a free agent and wants to sign with your team for a million or two less than what he's willing to take with other teams. Should you acquire that player? Yes. It's John Tavares. Does, is, is that going to result in cap problems down the line? And now you have to pay less for a third liner or you have to pay less for a number five and number six defenseman. Should you do it? Well, yeah, because it's John Tavares. And I think the same logic applies to Alex Petrangelo. Ooh, if, if we're acquiring Petrangelo, then that means we might have to trade a defenseman. We might need to trade a Janssen and or a Kerfoot. Should we do it? I think the answer is yes, you do it because it's Alex Petrangelo. Now, I'm not saying you go out and you give him $11 million. You give him the Drew Doughty contract because I'm not sure if that's something that's going to help you in the long term. But if we're just talking about the short term, I think this Leafs window realistically is however long Austin Matthews is on this team. I think that's the Leafs window. His contract is notoriously up in five years. So the Leafs have, in my opinion, that many years to compete for a title. Alex Petrangelo will help you do that. The back end of his deal, if you sign into a six or seven year deal, yeah, years five, six, and seven, obviously not going to look as good as years one through four. But the Leafs signed Jake Muzzin to a four-year deal with the same logical conclusion. Hey, we know year one and two of this deal is going to be the best part of the deal. And we're kind of worried about three and four, but we need to do it because our title contending window is right now. I think if Alex Petrangelo is willing to come to your team for a market value deal, let's say, or maybe slightly below market, if you can get that hometown discount, I think you make it work. I think you find a way to trade players and fit in elite talent because as we all know, the Leafs right-hand side on, on defense, it's not great. Cody CC was playing alongside Morgan Riley in the playoffs. That can't happen this season. And if it means acquiring Petrangelo and having to go really cheap on line three and pairing number three and line number four, you do it because I think realistically the top half of your lineup is what drives results. And the Leafs have been really missing that on the right side of their blue line. Yeah, it's, it's no doubt appetizing. Alex Petrangelo's resume career speaks for itself. But look, at Dubas has handcuffed himself. You got four forwards making 40 mil combined annually. So, Ian, would the other option be, okay, maybe let's pursue a more affordable, serviceable defenseman like a Chris Tanev or a Sammy Vatanen? Because, you know, it sounds great, but Dubas can't be pitching offers like, hey, yeah, we can give you 8-8 eight, eight for sure. Like, it's got to be a fixed... I don't know, probably in the sevens, if the Leafs want to try and pursue him. And the only way he'd come is because it's Toronto. Maybe they bring Tavares to the, to the pitching day. And I don't know, but it, it's might, might be more effective to, to pursue maybe a, as I said, affordable, affordable defenseman. Would you, would you see that as well? Or. Yeah, there, there's a couple different ways you can go about it. I think if you're going to go through free agency, the way to do it is if you're not acquiring a star player in free agency, then you shouldn't go for the mid-tier talent because those players are always overpaid. The second liners and the second pairing defense, when a lot of times in free agency, those guys get really overpaid. They get paid to move into a role that they're not ready for. They perform poorly in that role. They get older, their bodies wear down, they get injured. And most deals in unrestricted free agency are bad deals. That's why we, we, we like to joke that, oh, if you win July 1st, you're probably not having the greatest offseason because it means that you had to have a good offseason. You look at the New Jersey Devils who tried to make a big splash by doing a bunch of different things. Yeah, they won the offseason, but then they came in and they didn't have a, a strong regular season. That's a problem. So 
if I'm the Leafs and I can't acquire Alex Petrangelo, he resigns with St. Louis, he goes signs with Vegas, he, he does not want to sign with your team. I don't want to throw a lot of money to Chris Tana because of the injury history. Sammy Vatanen for me is is a worse version of Morgan Riley. It's it's basically the same Tyson Berry problem that you're having. I think if you're the Leafs, what you really need is a right-handed Jake Muzzin. And those don't grow on trees. You know, teams aren't looking to, to trade away a top four defenseman they can trust against top competition on the penalty kill in the last five minutes where they need to prevent a goal. That's the kind of player the Leafs have been missing for the last few years. If you can't acquire it in free agency and you can't acquire it through trade, which is the avenue I would look most for between now and the draft and the end of uh, this offseason, I'd be looking for that trade. If it's not there, don't be surprised if the Leafs go into the regular season without that role realistically filled, and they look to acquire it at the trade deadline because I think that might be where you're able to find that long-term partner for Morgan Riley. If you can't find it this summer, maybe it shows up by a trade deadline. But again, if, if you're a Leafs fan, do you want to wait that long? I know I don't, but that might be the patient approach you have to take if Petrolangelo isn't willing to become the Leafs. When you look at players that they could offer up in a trade a big conversation has been surrounding two of the top guys William Nylander and Mitch Marner and your two counterparts at the athletic actually writing an article and going back and forth James Myrtle and Jonas Siegel suggesting that if the Leafs were to take a run at Petrangelo though that even Morgan Riley could be on the block are there any of these players that you see as being unmovable or untouchable as far as the management is concerned? And could you see them making an aggressive move that perhaps the fan base wouldn't see coming or perhaps even agree with in the likes of moving a Morgan Riley, if that does come to fruition and they are able to sign this player? I think management would probably tell you that Nylander and Marner are not guys they want to trade and that they're untouchable, much like Matthews and Tavares. I think if we're being realistic and push came to shove, I think you would look at potentially moving those players. The hard part is that when we look at history and we look at first-line wingers who have been traded in an attempt to fill a need at defense, how often has the team trading that forward ended up on the better end of that deal? How often have they even ended up happy with the result of that trade? It, yeah. it usually doesn't happen. You usually end up trading a first-line winger for a second-pairing defenseman. It doesn't solve the, lead, the need. Now you're worse offensively, and you're wishing that you, you had just kept the forward and, and left the, uh, the elite talent offensively instead of trying to overcompensate for your poor defensive play. We've seen Edmonton do it. We've seen other teams do it. I think history's taught us that when teams are in a position where they really need to acquire defense, uh, other GMs aren't going to offer you a top four defenseman for, they're not going to offer you a top pairing defenseman for William Nylander. And this is something I've been hearing in the media a lot lately that, oh, the Leafs would consider maybe trading Nylander for a top four defenseman. And hearing that out loud, I'm not okay trading William Nylander for a second pairing defenseman. And that's still a top four defenseman, but I don't understand the value of trading away a young asset that's locked up long-term scored 30 goals this year. I understand the idea of trading Nylander for fair value, but I hear a lot of people talking about trading, whether it's a Marner or a Nylander for a player who's not worth what that player is worth. I don't like the idea of doing that. I don't like the idea of losing a trade to address a need long-term. I don't see how that helps you. Who would you rather trade, Freddie Anderson or William Nylander? What would be more effective for the future if they were to pull the trigger on one of those guys? You'd obviously get much more for William Nylander. I mean, Frederick Anderson has one year left at $5 million. I think it's an open secret that the, the Leafs are you know, looking at trading him this offseason if they can get something cheaper in free agency to replace him. They can go with a tandem of Jack Campbell and maybe... I don't know what Kudobin gets in free agency. We don't know if Thomas Grace might be available. So 
there are different things they can do in net, but with Nylander, I understand where you're coming from. You're thinking, okay, if we trade William Nylander, it's not because we don't think he's a good player. He had a very good season this year. He had a career year. But if you trade William Nylander and you get a very strong defenseman in return for him that you can pair with Morgan Riley for the next four plus years, let's say five plus years, then yeah, I can understand the logic behind it. I just worry that too often we tell ourselves that that's the way it's going to work out when realistically we're trading a first line player for a second pairing defenseman and that's never improved any team's chances of winning. Yeah. And when you look at those trades historically, as you were bringing up before, very seldomly is it a Seth Jones for Ryan Johansson trade where the defenseman actually ends up being the better of the two players. And it's so difficult to project that, especially at that position. And when you look at William Nylander's upside, I think he has potential to be the best value contract of the team. And I mean that in the sense that Tavares scored the 47 goals, obviously in his first year. And then he was dealing with injury problems this year throughout the season, never really looked comfortable with either of the star wingers on his line, whether it was Mitch Marner or William Nylander at times. When you look at Austin Matthews, he's going to score probably 50 pretty consistently moving forward. So he'll play up to his deal, no doubt. But William Nylander as cap it will be more efficient. And Mitch Marner, I mean, that's an astronomical contract. He's just going to need to be hitting the 110, 120 point mark to really be considered value for that deal. So in that sense, Nylander is the best value of any of those contracts on the forward group. Yeah, and I think that's it, it's pretty easy to look at it. You just look at uh, you know points per uh, per cap hit. We we try to divide it. You know, in baseball sometimes we try to look at how much did teams pay for wins, and we try to look at oh, okay, so your wins divided by your total cap hit. So we, if we did it that way, yeah, William Nylander is easily the the most efficient contract on the Leafs. But if we were to ask you who are the three best forwards on the Leafs, I think most people would say Austin Matthews, John Tavares, and Mitch Marner. I don't know what order they'd say it in. I would personally put it in that order. And I know what the Leafs would tell you is, hey, with Mitch Marner, we have a a guy who's going to contend for the Art Ross. He's going to have 95 points every season while playing first unit penalty kill minutes, being our power play quarterback, being a guy that we trust against top lines more than any other winger. William Nylander, late in games when you're protecting a lead, He doesn't get that many minutes, whereas Mitch Marner is actually on the ice protecting those leads, which result in wins. I know this is something that nerds like myself have a a tougher time with, but in the last five or ten minutes of a close game, you look at who coaches are actually trusting in those minutes, I think it will tell you a lot about what that coach thinks of that player. And William Nylander, pretty consistently, late in games where you're trying to protect the lead, you're trying to just shut the game down, even if it means out-possessing the other team but not making a mistake defensively. William Nylander is rarely on the ice in those circumstances. And Mitch Marner has been trusted a lot more in the last year or so. I think he's taken a, a big step defensively. You look at how effective he is on the penalty kill. He's taken away more passes and interceptions. So Mitch Marner is definitely a more valuable player than William Nylander. But is he worth $11 million compared to William Nylander who's making $7 million? That's where you make the justification for a trade. But at the same time, who's trading for, William, for uh, Mitch Marner's $11 million at this point? So... Again, it's that it's that tough discussion we're going to be having over the next few months. I, I'm ready for it. I'm geared up. The the Mitch Marner and William Nylander trades are never going to stop in this market, and we're just going to have to keep talking about them until the Leafs finally acquire a good defenseman. So uh, Tyson Berry didn't solve that need last year. We'll see what they end up doing this offseason, but I hope it's a, a heck of a lot better than, than Cody Ceci and Tyson Berry because that was not a, a, a great failed uh, experiment. Top. It did not work. It did not work. <laughs> 
Well, at least they freed up some cap space this year with both of those guys moving on. Uh, one rumor I saw floated today, which was not really a surprise as he's been one of the players who's been most notably on the balk was Andreas Janssen and rumors that the Blue Jackets are sniffing around on him. This to me seems like it's a pretty smart fit for both sides. Uh, the Leafs selling a little bit low on Janssen, perhaps he had a little bit of a down year. But he's a player that I could really see plugging in and helping Columbus's system nicely. He's got a little bit of that grit and determination, a little bit of the offensive upside. You feel like he's got more to give on that aspect, which is an area that the Jackets have really struggled in. Yeah, and with Andreas Janssen, I feel conflicted because we obviously know that he can play better than he did this past season. A lot of us are disappointed with him because we've seen him play better. We know with his skill, his speed, his talent, and when he is completely locked in going hard into corners going hard to the front of the net and being that kind of that pest without crossing the line and taking too many penalties he'd be an extremely effective player yeah he's one of the few feisty guys on the Leafs I really liked him when he was completely engaged we didn't see it every night this past season it was a frustrating year you know injuries you would be trading him at a low point and never like selling low on an asset but you weigh that with you know, like you said, the cap concerns and he's making three and a half million dollars. If you could clear that to bring in a defenseman that would help you in the top four, I think the easy conclusion is, yeah, let's trade Janssen for if it's a prospect, if it's a pick, if it's a cheaper player, let's do it to save some money on the cap and acquire some higher end talent for the top half of our lineup. Because Janssen, as much as I really like him, I'm not sure if he's a guy who you say he's definitely a top half of the lineup type of player. And maybe that cap space should be allocated on a player who does fit that requirement. Another interesting player, Ian, I was thinking about earlier today was Ilya Mikheyev. Uh, I actually had him as my X factor in the Jackets Leaf series. Obviously he was quiet as ever, but he's actually now an RFA and he actually still, before he went down with that lacerated wrist injury, he had a pretty, pretty solid season and someone who I'd consider teams are, I'm sure asking about I'm sure, now he's an RFA. So the Leafs have control in his rights. So they have to figure some things out there, but what do you think about Ilya Mikheyev's future? Are the, are the Leafs pretty much high on Nick Robertson that Mikheyev could get shipped? So with Ilya Mikheyev, when, when you look at his arbitration case and you look at RFAs, do, do guys in that level of, uh, you know, 39 games played 23 points, do guys like that ever get offer sheeted? No, it's, it's never really happened over the last 10 years, so that's not a concern. He's not going to cost much against the cap, just based on history has told us that guys who have played that few games, if they've only played one season in the NHL, then they don't get paid a lot. They get a one-year deal below $2 million, maybe above $1 million. I've got a sneeze here because it's September and ragweed season is killing me, so I'll hit the mute button in a sec here. But with Ilya Mikheyev, <laughs> I think... I love that. Sorry, that was the best, like prelude to a sneeze very very i know it's coming i know it's coming so i'm just <laughs> holding it off for an extra second here my, my my sinus is feeling it right now but with mikhaev i don't see them trading him because i think he's a cheap asset that you can yeah. keep on your roster so i would keep him because he's a guy you can trust in your top six and in the playoffs he didn't look his best but again he was coming back from a pretty nasty injury that was an ugly injury yeah yeah, so I think when you get him back to full health and you get him back to playing the way he was early in the regular season, I think that's a cheap asset you want to keep around. I'm gonna Another feisty him. player, too, on top of Janssen. Yeah, and I thought that there was some uh, talk as well that him and Dubas had a tentative deal worked out where it's going to be like just over a million bucks for him to come back. Because let's not forget, he was super high on the way that Kyle Dubas and the Maple Leafs organization treated him in the recovery of that injury. 
where he, the Dubis himself stayed with Mikheyev in New Newark or in New Jersey. I don't know where he ended up actually going to the hospital. Maybe he was in Manhattan or whatever, but he stayed with them through the surgery. And for a player that doesn't have the family, you know, obviously all his families in Russia, doesn't really speak the language that well. That demonstration from the Maple Leafs general manager really resonated with the player. And I would be surprised if that didn't make him want to come back and play for the Toronto Maple Leafs moving forward, knowing that this organization has support, supported him through his time of need like that. And I know that's something agents have talked about. I think he was in the hospital. They were watching a lot of soccer together, apparently. I know McKay was a big soccer guy. Dubas a big soccer guy. I think he's obsessed with Pep Guardiola, much like myself. You know, that tiki-taka oh, Hey, you know, I'm a Man United fan, so I don't get to appreciate good soccer very often. So <laughs> sometimes I'm forced to go elsewhere to find it. But when it comes to Russian free agents are, I think, a big market inefficiency. I think European free agents are a big market inefficiency right now. If you can get a very talented player in their mid to early 20s who's done well in a pro league to come to the NHL and play in your bottom six or play in the bottom half of your lineup for a league minimum contract or a, a, an ELC, the maximum you can pay right now for, for that type of player is $925,000. Would you pay $925,000 for what you got from Ilya Mikheyev last year? Absolutely. And you're hoping that a guy like Miko Lettinen is someone that can provide that value for you this year. Maybe Barabanov. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right. Hopefully we get better as that, at that. As, uh, as we get into training oh, yeah. camp, we'll, we'll, we'll find out how to actually pronounce everyone's names. Right now, we're in the weird part of the, the offseason. We're going, Miko Lettinen, Lettinen, how are they going to want us pronouncing it? We'll see. But with uh, when it comes to Kyle Dubas' ability to lure in uh, free agents, uh, I, I think it's something he recognizes, the way that you treat people. If you do it consistently, people are going to take notice. And I know that the counter argument is, well, he takes very good care of his players. You know, Mitch Marner did not deserve $11 million and he took good care of him. So that's the, the negative side of the pendulum. The positive side of it is that it's going to attract players from European markets who are, for my money, if you're a 25 year old player who did very well in a pro league, history has shown us that those types of players are much better bets than your average AHL player, you know, than your average, uh, I don't know, third or fourth round pick that you're going to give a chance to in camp. So I think it's something that Dubas recognizes. It's a calculated bet he's making when it comes to spending high on the cap for star players and trying to save money on these Miko Lettinen, Barabanov, Ilya Mikheyev types. Uh, well, we'll see who's right in the end, but I, I think it's not a bad approach. I feel like Mikheyev's just going to be like, I want free Campbell's soup. And unlimited access to DAZN to watch my weekend Premier League games. And I'm like, okay, cool. No. You got it. Like Donovan McNabb, free chunky soup for life. It's the good stuff, you know? <laughs> soup man or Donovan Superman, McNabb. whatever they call him. Donovan McNabb is the OG soup guy. With his, I remember with his, his mom on Monday Night Football. Chunky. It was the best. Donovan shaves with, and then his mom would kick down the door, chunky soup. Yeah, <laughs> it was an excellent, excellent advertising campaign. And just to touch on your pet point, Ian, have you watched the All or Nothing series on Amazon Prime? I have not. I have my sister's password to Amazon Prime, but I have not checked that oh, one. Oh, man, you are going to love it. BMAC, you should check it out, too, if you've got an Amazon Prime subscription. It goes behind the scenes for the year that Pep took over for Manchester City. And it's unreal. It was the That's I can't watch that. As a Manchester United fan, I just I won't be able to to make it through. Oh <laughs> man, it was so good though. Like it's so funny. He has all the technology in the world, and he still just has a magnet board that he demonstrates the other team's formations. He's just zipping around all these magnets. He brings down the road with him everywhere he goes. And then the following season, it's uh, Mourinho and Tottenham, and he obviously has like the big digital boards, and he's moving stuff around that way. 
just shows the difference in philosophy. Like Pep came up old school and he just doesn't need all the fancy stuff. I think you just lost like 90% of the, the listeners, but you know what? I'm so with you when it comes to these tactical adjustments. This, this is my kind of stuff. They could not be less interested in, in Manchester City's strategy behind the scenes. Speaking of which, let's get back on topic here. Let's go to the library bar. All right, Ian, we mentioned this to you before. Uh, it's a little segment that BMAC and I do based off uh, the Toronto bubble being at the Royal York and most notably... The best part of the Royal York, York, arguably, is the library bar. Have you ever been there? I have not, but library spot. bar, two Bougie. of my favorite places. So I, I got to think that it's uh, you combine them. What, what, what's a library bar? It's a great combination. It's just a, an amazing establishment down there. Like So a little bit bougie. Like You got to be ready to yeah. pay 20 bucks for uh, an old-fashioned in there. So maybe you just go for one or two. You got to make sure you're dressed up in the suit to... Uh, fit in with the King Street crowd, the financial district crowd down there, but a great spot to grab a bevy. And uh, today, for me, who's going to be found in the library bar? Patrick Hornquist. Patty Hornquist got dished just like by complete surprise from what it sounded like because he had a no movement clause and didn't even really know that Rutherford was shopping him. Then all of a sudden, the pens call him and were like, hey, will you move your no trade clause? And he's like, what do you mean? Well, if you don't want me, sure. They He waves it. They flip him to the Panthers. And then he posts, or I guess his neighbor took a picture of his driveway. And Patty's just threw all his Penguins equipment out of his house. Just so disgusted with the fact that the team didn't want him anymore. So he's going to be rolling up to the library bar to have a quick couple of cocktails before he goes down to meet Q and his new teammates in Florida. Let me, let me say, uh, the library bar, you're not only paying a lot for drinks, you're probably paying like 20 bucks plus for like a bowl of nuts and almonds. So when you're going, bar nuts. wear a jacket, shirt, and tie. If you don't have one, buy one. Yeah, you got to fit I'm the worried bar. now. You, you've scared me off. I'm not sure if they'll let me in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, just, uh, just got to act like you act like act natural and act like you've been there before. That's the major key I find. I used to take naps over in the King Eddie, not exactly the same thing but you just go into a lobby and just find a nice little chair in the corner. It's the one place no one will ever bother you as long as you're dressed up nicely and work the part. The and consort the- bar, the King Eddie. <laughs> Why yeah. do you know? We've been there. Bars are- <laughs> We've <laughs> been there before together. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Maybe for one or Another two. Another good spot. I think it's so funny. Like what other hotel bars are you hanging out at? Just bounces from hotel Zero, bar yeah, to just hotel bounce around. Just his free time. He's, bu- he's buzzing all around. BMAC, who's at the library bar for you? Well, I'm going to flip that, Kenny, and say Mike Matheson because he's like, wow, I, I know that Colton Seaver was part of that package as well. But, I mean, bit of a lopsided trade. If I'm Mike Matheson, it's like, wow, I got to go to the Pittsburgh Penguins three cups in the last, what, 11, 12 years? So he's definitely high on himself. I'm sure he's getting into one at the library bar. Yeah, a little bit of a weird trade. I mean, I feel like it might have been a little bit of a salary dump. I'm not exactly sure what the cap implications are going both ways, but obviously Rutherford's trying to make some room and move out some veteran players. He's never been afraid to shake up his lineup. So maybe he sees something in Matheson that he thinks he can contribute in those uh, in a bottom six role for the Pens, and we'll see how it works out moving forward. Ian, who you got? I'm going to put Corey Perry here. I'm not quite sure nice. what the library bar is. Again, we've established <laughs> that I'm probably not going to get in, but Corey Perry managed to hook someone and a ref genuinely believed right. that Corey Perry deserved to have his penalty be offset by someone else diving. 
I have never seen that happen before. I'm not sure if we'll see it again. He should thank his lucky stars. Yeah, the Jimmy Tap by Corey Perry. He's uh, definitely going to be having a cocktail at the library bar to celebrate the fact that there was an incidental penalty. I don't know. Who, who was it they, they hit? Was it Point? Uh, I'm trying to remember now because I remember yelling as it was happening. I think it was Point. It was Point or Johnson. Yeah, one of those smaller guys. It was just it was so obvious that he just got nutted and just was needed to go down and regroup for a second before he got to the bench. And the, it was inexplicable to me that the refs called an incidental penalty on that. And when you're the judge on that, you kind of look at the character of the defendant. And uh, I'm just looking at Corey Perry's eyes and I'm thinking, oh, should this be a two minute penalty or should these be offset? Yeah, let's offset it. Yeah, it's Corey Perry. We can trust him. I'm thinking, no. Why no. is this the way we're calling this? <laughs> the last guy you can trust. Uh, it, I will say in the playoffs, everyone's favorite discussion. <laughs> I will say a second guy would probably be Tyler Sagan. I don't think he's scored in September yet. He has like a point. But he has been atrocious for Dallas. And if, if they lose tonight, goals, I think Sagan's going to be there like weekly. The expected goals. This is why we the, got the, the analytics. The expected goals are through the roof. But uh, yeah, when the pucks aren't going in, it is not a good time to be uh, that kind of player. He looked like even in the presser last night, like he just looked. He looked awful, man. <laughs> like he just he looked like he just rolled out of bed. He's like, yeah, like I know he's got to answer. He's got to do pregame stuff, postgame stuff. But it's like, come on, man. Like either top three guy i gotta imagine it's really frustrating you're generating that many chances and the pucks aren't going in you start questioning yourself you start questioning life Uh, i gotta think that's where he's at right now yeah the guy couldn't hit the broad side of a barn right now it's like the opposite of tyler hero the other night who was just his coach said that the rim must have looked like the ocean or is actually brad stevens i think that said that i feel like the net right now for sagan just is shrinking he's just gripping the stick too tight you just can't get it cooking and they're gonna tyler hero is that the 12 year old playing for the heat yeah that's a oh, yeah, yeah. former Kentucky, Kentucky graduate, or at least he plays in Kentucky. I think he was a one and done sort of situation. But yeah, he just dropped 35 casually in the Eastern Conference Finals game. <laughs> yeah, that was incredible, man. Hell, hell of a coming out party. I feel bad for the kid, actually, because that would have been the night of his life if he had won that game in Miami. He would have oh, been going God. out and getting absolutely in one. If you're talking about who's <laughs> at the library bar, whatever the Miami equivalent is for that. But yeah, one of the hey, I don't know if he can legally... Uh, do any of that, but I'm sure True. he would probably be doing it. He's, he's 20 years old, right, Tyler Hero? Yeah. Oh, he's a young buck. I, I was. So, I'm always so surprised at the age of these athletes. It's like when they start becoming substantially younger than you are. Like I was born in 1990, so now it's like I'd be ending into the, one of those contract years where the back nine is not going to look so good. So I remember when you, Anthony Davis, Anthony I didn't know Davis was in my draft year, and I just realized it was over for me. Yeah, that's it. That the, you, you got to shut it down. It's only uh, beer league only. And I even have trouble keeping up with some of those guys, depending on uh, who's on the opposition there. And now it's I'm like the five nine know, white guy who can't there. shoot, and it's it's a problem. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I get you on that one. All right, gentlemen. Hey, Ian, thanks for taking the time today. We really appreciate it. And it's obviously been a little while since we talked. I'm glad to hear that you're doing doing well, still healthy and happy, and. Look forward to uh, another great season of Maple Leafs game night. We'll get you on there, and hopefully we can get you on here a couple of times once we get a little bit more relevant Maple Leafs news coming through. Sounds great, Ken. I'm looking forward to the next big trade that we get to argue about. You know, that's what this uh, this Leafs gig, it's all about. It's all about just talking about these ridiculous things, these ridiculous storylines, and always love getting into it with you guys. So uh, good stuff. We'll, we'll talk soon. Thanks again, Ian. You're the man. Either way. Take it easy. I'll see you at the library bar. Ha, 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 ha.
Man, Ian is going to love the library bar when we bring him in there. And like I said, the offer's on the table, Ian, if you're listening right now to your hit. First round of drinks <laughs> is on this guy if we go to the library bar, but we'll have to socially distance, of course, since we are in each other's bubbles. Buddy, I, I'm just pumped because you know what? It used to be like a small um, bar. And then when the Fairmont did all these renovations, it's like on the l- main lobby now. So it's much more elaborate, let's say. And I'm sure uh, some new options to choose from in terms of bevies and uh, little appetizers. So when that'd be we, a fun night. When were we at the King Eddie bar? Was that after the Maple Leafs game on your birthday? So this was, I've like, I, I can like, just remember stuff like my dad. It was March 23rd, 2017. What? Yeah, the Leafs what? beat the Devils. Leafs? The oh. Leafs beat the Devils on my B-Day. So they won 5-2. And we all just rolled over there like a military unit and just like took over the library bar. No, sorry, the consort bar, which is at the Kinetti. I can't, I can't believe that you remember that, but it was on your birthday, right? It was on my birthday. So, okay, I, yeah. so that's easier. <laughs> I, would, I, I could remember it. Oh yeah. It was December 5th, uh, 2014. Like I can remember <laughs> that day. I thought you just like pulled that one out. Well, it was, yeah, it was March, 2017 Maybe around your birthday, but not like on the actual day. Yeah. That was a great time. You got us all tickets to the game. We buzzed over to the then uh, air Canada center to see right. the Toronto Maple Leafs take on the New Jersey devils, obviously a big win, which is always nice when you go on your B day and myself and a number of our classmates uh, proceeded to get how they say in one at the concert. <laughs> what a great night. We were into one. Yeah, we were into one for sure. I just think it's so funny that you're always hanging out at all these hotel bars. I think you got that from your dad. He just knows all the best spots in the city. You, you know to- where I was last night, Ken, was Bymark. Have you ever been there? No, no. Now, that was with my folks, so I wasn't Is paying. that a fancy place? Very, very nice. It's on Wellington and Bay. Oh, so, okay. corporate district. Um, yeah, the Bay Street, the Bay Street restaurants uh, don't mess around. Yeah, it was great. I was like, oh, I feel like Ken would like this place. I mean, I feel like it'd be... Nice place to work too for uh, some nice juicy tips. But you're all, you're all set right now at the brewery. Yeah, the brewery is going well, man. We're cooking. We're actually uh, hosting an Oktoberfest thing tonight. I'm not really sure how that's going to work with the social distancing because we won't be able to be letting people mingle. And obviously, with the restrictions that City of Toronto put on, all bars must serve last call by 11 o'clock. So if you are planning on hanging to one of those bars, make sure that you're uh, maybe getting a little pregame in and then heading there earlier because seven o'clock is the new 11 o'clock when you're heading out to an establishment yeah i think it's going to be which is not a problem i think it's going to be more of a arrive at a patio or inside yeah around 4 p.m instead of seven or six which is fine (laughs) got got no worries there uh interesting takes though from ian during that interview and Thanks again for joining the pod at Ian Tullock. And you can give us a follow at Ken Sapon at B McCarthy 95 on at hockey pod net, the hockey podcast network to see all of our content, keep up to date and engage with the show. If you ever have any questions or comments, uh, just hit us up on those hashtags and we'll be happy to discuss them. He seems to think that Nylander is staying put, which goes against your philosophy that this should be the guy to get traded that you brought up on the pod last week. Yeah, that was interesting. I I mean, you know, if we just agreed, we wouldn't have a podcast, but that's his take. I still think that they might be sniffing around to see if they can deal the uh, Swedish stud because as you both said on the pod earlier, you know, out of the main four forwards, he's the fourth. I mean, it's hard to rank 
Matthews, Marner, and Tavares, that's up in the air. But I think he would be he would be the scapegoat in that situation. So, you know, maybe they don't trade him. I still think possibly he could get dealt. Or he doesn't. But I think it's likely another Swedish guy is going to get dealt in Andreas Janssen. I think the rag's on the wall for that player. And the, yeah. fact, the fact that Columbus is sniffing around on him right now, I mean, it just sort of goes to the points that we've been talking about for the last couple of weeks that at this point, he's inevitably going to be the guy to go. It just seems like there's too much smoke and where there's smoke, there's fire. And he's one of those guys that actually has value, a little bit of term left on his deal and an affordable cap hit and a lot of upside. You can get, you can get uh, strategic and we know how strategic Dubas can be. He works his magic, you know, especially in the last five years. And, you know, if you package Janssen with a guy like Herford too, that sheds off six mil. So in that yeah. way, you wouldn't have to get rid of the likes of Nylander. Yeah, that would be take a lot of uh, that's finesse, I'd say. Or that's maybe- assuming, you know, like, you know, are Freddie Goche and Pierre Engvall going to, you know, slide into bottom center roles. Yeah, I think Keith likes both those players and he wouldn't be yeah. hesitant to go to battle with them. Obviously, he's very experienced with them from his time with the Toronto Marlies, but I, th- I think that the depth, you need some veteran guys there, and that's what Kerfoot is. That's what Janssen is. And Stubis, as we have mentioned in the past, has already highlighted the lack of depth at forward as being an issue moving forward with the organization because of all the trades that they've had to make over the couple of years and dishing out prospects to bring in players like Clifford and Campbell and Muzzin and yeah, and then the draft capital that you have to give up to get rid of a player like Patrick Marlowe or also going going out in those trades. The cabinet is just getting pretty bare, and I would be pretty resonant by Kyle Dubas to make a trade for those players, which we already know that he is, unless there's going to be something coming back in return that's going to help you win right now because that's where the Toronto Maple Leafs window is, as Ian was discussing a little bit earlier. It's pretty, basically they're shooting to win in the next three or four years while they still have Matthews under contract. Absolutely. And at a young defenseman that has taken a while to develop who we didn't bring up with Ian Kenny is Timothy Lilligren. And perhaps Kyle Dubas is kind of giving him, you know, one last chance here because he he's had a disappointing start to his his hockey career in, in the big leagues. And, you know, maybe maybe he's waiting for finally Lilligren to crack a full time spot because, again, they're, they're lacking right shot guys. You only have Justin Hall currently who's fresh off that, um, I believe it's a two or three year deal. It's making like two mil AAV, but you know, that that's another question mark too, is, is Lilligren and even Sandine, are they going to be full-time contributors on full-time contributors on the Maple Leafs? I expect that you'll probably see Sandine slide into the third pair. Yeah. Lilligren is a kind of an anomaly at this point. I mean, he's still ranked very highly on the Toronto Maple Leafs prospect chart. First round pick from what? How long has he been there for? About three years, four years now? 2017, yeah. Yeah, so the expectation will be that he's coming up to contribute in some role very soon, whether that's, I mean, ultimately you'd want him to be getting regular minutes on the third pairing. But for whatever reason, he hasn't been able to crack the lineup on a consistent basis. And I know at the station over here at TSN 1050 behind closed doors, it seems like a lot of people, there's a a lot of chatter anyways, that this guy isn't going to be able to contribute right now or maybe in the immediate future to this organization. And perhaps he's one of the players that Kyle Dubas should be looking at to move, perhaps in a parlay, as you were saying before, with either Kerfa or Janssen or someone like that, 
to an organization who's looking to build for the future and has the time to wait for this player to develop into a ready NHL defenseman. Right. And he's still, like Sandine, has two years left on his entry-level contract, and then they become RFA. So perhaps Dubas is going to, you know, slowly groom these two. Well, I think that the timing, though, like Toronto doesn't have the time. Sandina I expect to probably crack the lineup in the third pairing next year. Lilligren, if he's not contributing, I don't see how you wouldn't consider moving him as he still has value mm. to a team who's not necessarily looking to con- to make a run at it right now, but looking to build for the future and has time to sort of groom, as you say, rather than trying to parlay the pieces that they have into a team that can actually make a run at a championship in the next two or three years when the window is supposed to be. Maybe a lukewarm take, Ken, but I think the most underrated long-term deal on the Leafs is Jake Muzzin. I think that's a huge, huge lockup. I, I think he's probably the best defenseman. Yeah, no. I think, sure. I think he's better than Riley in terms of his, his maybe not his contribution, but just his, his style and his experience. I mean, he's done wonders for this team, and it's, it's huge they got him at – just over five five for the next four years. So yeah, is he been, well? You saw what happened in the Columbus series when he left the lineup. It wasn't great, right? And that's what he brings to this team. He brings stability. He's the best defensive defenseman. He brings an air of physicality. He also brings calmness to whoever he's partnered with. Like him, absolutely and Hall have looked excellent as a shutdown pairing at times during the year. But then you pair Hall with Dermott. And all of a sudden, they're looking like they're in the spin cycle in the washing machine when they get into the defensive zone and teams start cycling the puck. So that aspect of his game also underappreciated or perhaps underspoken about. I mean, how well, how much does Kyle Dubas have to say about this player saying that we need to go and try and find a whole bunch more Jake Muzzins to fill out the back end of this defensive core? And when you look at the one thing I found sort of peculiar is so everybody the Canadians fans are laughing at Maple Leafs fans because they just signed Jeff Petrie to the extension, right? I think it's uh, four years at just over 6 million bucks. Muzzin, by my estimation, has been just as effective as Petrie and is younger than Petrie. And we signed him for a lot less than Montreal signed Petrie for. So I don't really understand what the Canadians fans are talking about while they're making fun of the Maple Leafs fans for that signing. Well, they're just, they're just angry because they don't have a good team. Simple as that. <laughs> They're just angry because they've tied up all their salary in uh, in the goaltending, but they made it farther than the Maple Leafs did this year. So, yeah, I guess that's the comeback. Just so who's actually know. laughing, you know? Yeah, and they got Edmondson too. I like that. I like that deal. Joel Edmondson coming to the Canadiens. Yeah, it's like they're just filling out their decor with these savvy veteran players who understand what's going on. Like they understand how to play the defensive game, and it's it's a shrewd way to build your team, especially when you have Carey Price in net is to understand that if you can put good defenders, good one-on-one defenders in front of them and those bigger, bulkier guys, that that's going to give you a chance to succeed as long as he's in, he's playing well behind them. Is this one of those times that you're just not going to answer again? I was Why? thinking. Why? <laughs> I was thinking. I was going to say, who... Uh... <laughs> Who's mainly target? Is it Zach Cook? I know he's a big Habs fan or former CSM mate. Yeah, Zach Cook, big uh, noted noted Habs fan. Uh, Spencer Lucier, another notable uh, Montreal Canadiens fan. So we had a couple of them floating around. Yeah, well. Yeah, we'll see what's going on. All right, buddy, you got anything going on for the rest of the weekend? 
I'm going to hit the links. Probably one of the last uh, golf rounds I can do with my pops. Well, I was going to say, where'd you get a reservation? Like, but we've been well documented on overdrive that every course in the GTA has just been completely jam packed. It's like you need to know a guy who knows a guy who's a member there to even find any tea times. My pops called Deer Creek and said, yeah, like 4.46, 5 p.m. Yep, we can do it. Cool. Evening, the evening tea time. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, that's reserved for the uh, the gentlemen who don't have families yet or their families are old enough now. Like you can go go with your dad. I don't know if uh, you have the young child at home, if the wife's going to be too enthused that your tea time with the boys is at 4.30 on a Saturday night. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure significant others don't like that. It's like you leave at 10 a.m. and not back till seven it's like wow you put in a full eight hour shift on the course yeah full uh full eight hour shift of uh you know a little cart <laughs> you got, the, yeah. got the bar cart wheeling around behind the behind the go- little uh golf cart there and just getting absolutely in one yeah, into significant it significant others not too pleased about that all right buddy Cheers. Enjoy your round of golf. Thanks again to Ian Tullock of The Athletic for joining the show today. You can listen to us live every Monday on the Hockey Podcast Network. Ken Stapon joined by Brendan McCarthy. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time.